I want to welcome everyone here this morning, and uh, those of you that are here personally, those of you that are watching online, I just want to welcome you to Thrive. And today, I mean, it's going to be an exciting day. You know, it, it truly is. And, you know, it's a pleasure, really, to be a pastor here. And, and one of the things that I really enjoy doing is teaching and communicating the Word of God. And so for the enemy to try to attack me, to take me away from the Word of God, it just brings me joy that, that you know what? He's a liar, his pants are on fire, and I'll do anything that, that God will allow me to do. Amen? Well, glory to God. Yes, sir. You can lay hands on me and pray for me. That's just fine. All right. Let me turn my microphone off. Don't want any of you guys to cuss. No, just kidding. Stacy said, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm going to try to stand because I, I really hate sitting. It really bothers me. But, you know, when you look around and people in general, you can see that people have lost their joy. You know, or they never really had joy to begin with. All they had were moments of being happy. And with moments of being happy, you're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. You're controlled by your circumstances. See, happy people, they're just, if, if all you are is happy, you're controlled by your circumstances. Joy needs to be rooted, or happiness needs to be rooted in joy. If it's not rooted in joy, then it's rooted in your circumstances, in your emotion. And so if the joy of the Lord is your strength, then the happiness that you have has to be based upon the root of joy. In Philippians 4.4, 4, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And I don't want you to confuse the two, you know, happiness and joy, because happiness comes and goes with circumstances, like I said, and joy is like a solid rock. It's based upon a choice and a relationship that you have with Christ Jesus. That's what joy is based upon. If you want to know the difference between the two, I want you to think of it this way. Happiness is like being on a t-ball team and being a five-year-old. Joy is like playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers. If you're into happiness, it's time that you change leagues and get into joy. Because if all you're doing is hanging around in happiness, you're basically an immature believer. You need to get into joy. And what happens is most people focus on happiness because most people are concerned about the external things around them. And now I could be happy right now by being in my bed with a hot pad back here and having all this and, and just, and I can be happy, trust me. Because I wouldn't be feeling some of the stuff that I feel. But because of my passion and because of what God has in my heart, I have great joy and great pleasure in showing how good our God is. So what's the point in that? No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your life, 
You can take the joy of the Lord into every situation, into every, into every hardship and every trial, and you know what? You're going to come out looking good. You're going to come out smelling like a rose. Amen? So it said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. And that means regardless of what's going on, I want you to express joy to the world. No matter what's going on, no matter if you have a headache, no matter if you have a toothache, no matter if your marriage doesn't look so good, no matter if your kid just got kicked out of school, no matter what's going on in your life, you have a flat tire and it's snowing, no matter what's going on, express joy. Express joy. And in this generation, you're going to have to fight for joy. Fight for it like, ever, like never before. And all you have to do to figure out what's attacking your joy is turn on the television and watch the news. School shootings alone should steal your joy in the natural. But if it steals, it, it, it only means you, it stole your happiness. You never really enjoy. Because when I take a look at school shootings and stuff like that, what I'm really taking a look at is my heart is breaking for what's going on. And I'm praying about the situation. But what gives me great joy is Jesus is returning. The signs of the times show me that God is coming back, that he's not going to allow this to continue on for much longer. So I have joy in what I'm focused on and what I'm, in what I'm looking at. And that's all you have to do. Take a look at politics. Politics, I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, everybody's a hater. Everybody's hating everybody. It's horrible. So, Philippians 1, verse, uh, Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, and now the Apostle Paul here, what he's doing, he's writing a letter, he's in prison in Rome, it's a, he, he established this church about 10 years before, and then he goes on to say this, he said, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. You can just really sense the compassion that the Apostle Paul had for this church. Here he's in prison, and he's thinking about this church, and he's concerned about this church, and he knows this church is going through a lot of struggle, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulation. And, and he's, he, he wants them to have the joy of the Lord, knowing that the joy of the Lord will take them through the problems and the struggles that they're going through. So Paul was saying that his personal joy would be complete when they had the exact same joy that he had, not happiness, but joy. And then in verse 3, he, he gets the, to the things that steal your joy, and we call them joy killers. Everybody say joy killers. Okay, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Those are the two main joy killers right there. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Now, how many people actually do that? Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, Paul is warning us. And what he's saying here, he's, he's saying there's some things that are going to try to steal your joy. There's going to be some things that come across your life that try to take from you, that try to rob from you. And the first one I see in this generation is living to impress. That's the first thing that I see. Or you can say it this, living to promote yourself. That would be living to impress. It's self-promotion. There was a movie that came out December 13th, 1996, called Jerry Maguire. 
Love the movie. Great movie. I'd go see it again and again and again and again and again. It had Tom Cruise and Cuba Gooding Jr. in it. They had two iconic phrases. Tom Cruise said one, it's like, you complete me. And all the women go, ah, you know. But all the men, like Cuba Gooding's statement, show me the money. See, that is, yeah, yeah, I see you. And that is what's going on in our world is, is we look at this and we look at this statement and all that really means is this, I've got to get what's mine. I've got to have what's mine. And you know, I'm so sick and tired of hearing this again and again and again because all that means is we're living to self. If I really felt that I had to get what's mine, do you realize that I would actually right now be living on the beach in Southern California driving a Mercedes-Benz or, or better? Because that's where I came from. See, I don't go someplace because of money, because of things, because of... I go places because I feel that I'm called by God to do something and to do something great. I'm not trying to say, oh, hey, look at me. Hey, look at I've... No, 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 no. I was just blessed to, to be in a, a, a certain situation and, and raised a certain way, but had I continued on that path, I might not have ever been born again. I might have just stayed on that path and, and went the way um, a lot of other people who have things and have, because it's, we, we become idolatry worshipers. We worship stuff in, instead of God. Amen? All right, the next thing is this, living for the applause. And this is an obsessive need for approval from others. And there's so many people, you know, because you, you know, i got to get approval from others. I have to be praised. Why? Because whether you know it or not, it's all about you. You're living for that approval. And it, you, or it could be this. You could be saying, well, I'm not doing so well, so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm throw it on you so, that you so that way you say, oh, you poor thing, you. Um, in the South, they have a saying, uh, God bless his darling heart. But if you really continue the saying, it means, and his stupid head. <laughs> so so when, it, when you hear somebody say that, it doesn't mean, you know, something really, really good. And that's the thing is, we have become stupid in some of these areas, or, or how shall I say, ignorant in some of these areas, because what these people are doing, whether they're doing awesome or whether they're doing awful, they want approval. And I'm not saying don't be compassionate and don't compliment people. What I'm saying is don't be manipulated by people and be an enabler to robbing them from their joy. Because so many times what happens is we enable people and we rob them from being tapping in and experiencing real joy. There's manipulation games that people play all the time. So instead of saying, oh, you poor thing, instead of, being, instead of allowing them to be controlled by their emotions and their circumstances, start speaking the word of God into their lives. Start speaking the promises of God in their lives. Oh, I'm sorry all this stuff is happening. No, I don't say that to people. When I come up to people, and, and you know, it really blows me away, the ones who, who say that they're so mature and stuff like that, well, I, I'm, I'm not looking for the, the word. Well, then you're looking for the world. 
and the world is going to let you down. And, and all you're doing is manipulating people to try to try to suck you into that emotion. So what we need to do is we need to encourage them with the word of God. And, and you know, I'll tell you what, if you don't read the word of God, you're not going to be able to give them the word of God. So the only reason why you give your opinion and you give your experiences and stuff like that is because you have not put your face into the Bible. You need to put your face into the B-I-B-L-E and allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to groom you and teach you, not just so you can walk and run your life, but so you can give people hope and an answer in the time of their need. No more manipulation games. I'll tell you, you know, this is the thing is, what happens when we get to this, oh, you poor thing, and we start telling them our opinion and our experiences. This is what you're saying. You're saying, God, your ways are not greater than my ways, and your thoughts are not higher than my thoughts. My thoughts and my ways are higher and greater than yours. Because most of our opinions and most of our experiences contradict what the Bible has to say. And your experience and your opinion, my experience and my opinion, if it does not line up with the word of God, will leave them left empty and hanging. Man, this is a real serious... No, this is a a joyful message, trust me. Why? Because you're learning something, you're getting something, you're receiving something. So living to impress and and living for the applause, these these are two joy killers that we need to root out because they're both rooted in self. Now this generation, if you take a look at it, it's all about self. I took a look on the internet and AOL News in May 19th, 2017, they said this. Considering the average lifespan is 27,375 days, that's 75 years, An average millennial is expected to take 25,700 selfies during their lifetime. That's close to one selfie a day. As a matter of fact, that's one selfie a day after the age of four and a half years old. You want to know why we're jacked up? It says 55% of social media selfies come from millennials but the Gen, Gen X follows with 24%, so that's less than half, and baby boomers with 9%, and 12% consist of all others. That's crazy. <laughs> and we wonder why America's messed up. Why? Because it's all about me, my poor little me. And shut up. <laughs> you know, listen. We need to take a time out and quit being selfish and having selfish ambitions and, va- and having this vain conceit. We need to quit trying to impress other people. We need to qu- living, quit living for the applause. We need to quit living for ourselves. And if we do, we might get away from this momentary happiness, and we might get away from these things that are trying to steal our joy. That's good, Pastor. That's really good. Thank you. You're like, man, I thought you said you weren't living for the applause. I'm not. Because if I was, I'd get into show business. California State University has found some cultural trends on the rise, and they found these trends also in social media. The first trend that they found was we have a preoccupation preoccupation with self. Hmm. Number two... Being above the rules. That means, now this is a good one. Those of you haters out there, don't get mad at me for what I'm about to say. 
but you're gonna, you, you probably won't like it. But as Americans, we're supposed to live by the Constitution of the United States of America. We're supposed to live by the rules of the land that God has allowed us to abide in. Now, don't be a hater, but illegal is illegal. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. Morality is morality. And I have some, well, you know, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody. See, this is the problem, is the reason why the Constitution of the United States was created was to protect the citizens of the United States of America, period. It's, we're not a global world. We're supposed to be a Christian nation. No matter what, in God we trust, not in our government, but in God. Okay. Number three, the inability to take criticism. In other words, you don't care what anybody else has to say. Even your close friends, you really don't care because you're going to do whatever you want to do anyway. It's the truth. And also what happens with the inability to take criticism, it means this. It means you won't take responsibility for your actions. You'll always blame somebody else for why you're messed up. Oh, man, it was my kindergarten teacher fault. Pre-K. It's pre-K. I know it's pre-K. It was my boss. You got fired from eight jobs. You've had six different marriages. It's always their fault. Really? So you're the only perfect one on the planet. You know, the only thing you have to realize is that when you come into any type of situation, you're bringing you into that situation. That's the common denominator to anything that you bring in. So maybe, just maybe, if you take responsibility for some of the actions that you've done, maybe you just might have some joy and you might see some success in your life. Not happiness that comes and goes. The fourth thing is unilateral listening. And what that means is this. You're only listening to respond. You're really not paying attention to what they have to say. You're just waiting for them to just take a breath so you can jump all over them. Everybody knows what I'm talking about because y'all been there. Matter of fact, you're probably there in the foyer today. Wait for that. See, what we need to do is we need to think about what people say. We need to evaluate what people are saying and engage in a conversation without trying to say, I'm more right or I'm more wrong than you. The Bible doesn't say being right sets you free. The Bible says it's the truth that sets you free. Amen? And the thing of it is, is all these things are people who are focused on themselves. And people who are focused on themselves are living natural, or you could say worldly, and God doesn't want you to live a natural life. God wants you to live a supernatural life. He wants you to live above. And joy is supernatural because joy is bringing God's ability into and through your life to not only impact your life, but to impact other people. That's what joy does. And someone who's about themselves, they're quicker to get mad. They're quicker to get depressed. Why? Because they're they're moved by their emotions. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So in other words, don't live like the world, live like Jesus. 
who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So he was a king with a servant's attitude. He was a king in servant's clothing. That's taking on human flesh. And we might be king's kids, but we should be king's kids with servant's attitude. If we start becoming king's kids with servant's attitudes, we will humble ourselves as Christ Jesus. And what you'll see is you'll, you'll see you start transforming to the image and the likeness of God. It says, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And I'll tell you what, because Jesus humbled himself as a servant, God exalted him. If you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, the Bible says he will lift you up. He will exalt you. And then it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And right there, that is amazing. Every knee, every tongue, everything is going to bow to the name of Jesus. So the key to joy is this, develop a servant's heart. If you develop a servant's heart, that is the key to joy. See, we need to have leaders in church who are servant leaders, not dictator leaders, servant leaders. Now, being a servant leader does not mean that you're not in charge. It just means you don't have to bark out orders. See, the difference is, is when I talk to somebody and I ask somebody to do something, they're not doing it because they have to. They do it because they love and respect me enough that they want to. See, if they did it because they had to, then, then I'm not a good servant leader when I am as a good dictator. And there's different types of management, different types of leadership, but, serve, but we have to develop a servant's heart. And, you know, the Bible says that Jesus created the heavens and the earth. So this just said the creators of the heaven and earth humbled himself to die on a cross, became a man for you and me. That's what that just said. Heart of a servant. Hebrews 2, uh, 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Really? What is joyful about the cross? I mean, it's joyful at this end of the cross, but his end, what was joyful at his end of the cross? How can you have joy when you're going through such pain? How can you have joy when you're going through much, so much sorrow? The same way I can have joy today when I have the pain that's going on in my body. I make a choice in the relationship that I have with, with God. 
And when I make a choice in the relationship that I have with God, he equips me to do the things that I cannot do in my own strength and ability. He gives me the strength. Well, Jesus knew the beginning from the end. He knew the end from the beginning. He knew the mission was complete, so he had the bigger picture before his eyes. He didn't allow his circumstances to dictate to him. Do you know why first responders talk to people about baseball or what their hobbies and stuff are? The reason why they do that is 75% of your pain is you focusing on your pain. 25% of your pain is the actual pain. So when it's unbearable, you're focusing on the wrong thing. The reason why he was able to endure because he was focusing on what he completed, what he accomplished, he knew the end from the beginning. And if you would take that into heart and take a look at the prize, the goal, and refocus what you need to focus on, your pain will be but for a moment, and it won't be that serious. It goes on to say, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if we humble ourselves the way Jesus humbled himself, we will be victorious in whatever we're going through. That's basically what it just told us. But you're going to have to do some things. You can't just, it doesn't just come upon you. You've got to do something. You have to have some, number one, some heart work. And what does it mean to have a servant's heart? Number one, go all in with God. That's what you have to do. You have to go all in. Don't... Don't hold anything back. The reason why your life is so hard walking with God is because you hold stuff back. Well, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold. Well, that's okay. It's just a little bit of poop in my brownies. Listen, when I eat a brownie, I don't want any poop in my brownies. I don't care if it doesn't change the taste, if there's a little poop in there or not. I don't want poop in my brownies. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Okay. And that's what you've got to take a look at. Having, holding something back is like eating a brownie with a little bit of poop in it. You have to go all in. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, so not only when I was around, but now much more in my absence. So he said, when I'm gone, I'm still hearing that you're still obeying. So in other words, not only because you came to church and we're going, Hallelujah, bless your sister, glory to Jesus. But now that you're out and about in the world, I go to Walmart and all I do is hear about how good you are and how awesome you are and how you minister to people. So not only in my presence, but in my absence when I'm not there. Then he goes on and gives us us some practical steps. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now I want you to know that this does not mean what most people think it means. Most of oh, I'm scared, I'm going to hell. No, the word fear here is talking about a reverence, a godly reverence. And the word trembling here is this. It means you're trying to do it, but you don't trust your abilities. So the only way you can work it out, and because he, he continues on the scripture... 
how to work it out. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So what he's saying is, what's on the inside of you when you got born again, I want you to work it out. I want you to bring it to the outside. And the way you do that is you cannot do it on your own. You have to trust God to be able to do the work as you believe in him. Your work is the faith and walking out the faith. His work is to pull it out. Think of it this way. You have a splinter that's on the inside of you. How do you work it? You dig at it, and you work that splinter out. That's kind of what it's talking about. It's on the inside of you. Now bring it on to the outside. So the joy of the Lord, that's your strength, it's on the inside of you. Work it out. Bring it to the outside. It's in there as long as you're born again. Amen? All right. So trust his word, follow his word, and go all in. Then number two. Take a genuine interest in others. See, this is really what the world needs. Take our eyes off self and and take a look at others. And let me put it this way. You can say this statement, say, actions speak louder than words. Because you know how people, well, I love you. Well, your actions don't show it. I mean, you say the word all the time, but, but, but you're not showing it by your actions. So take a genuine interest in others. Philippians two nineteen through 21, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. See, Paul couldn't make it. He said, I have no one else like him. Now, that's amazing right there. I mean, if you understood, I have no one else like him. In other words, all the people that Paul had mentored, all the people that he trained, Some translations say, I have no one else like-minded. There's no one else that he's ever ministered to that was like Paul, exactly like Paul. And then he continues on to say how he's exactly like Paul. He says, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare? there's, There's no one that I know that's like Timothy, who's like me, who loves you as much as I do. And he says, for everyone... Who look, everyone looks out for his own interest, not for not those of Jesus Christ. So he said, I've got no one else that's like-minded. If you see Timothy, you see Paul. Doesn't that sound like something Jesus said? If you see me, you see the Father. Or it doesn't that sound like something else Jesus said? I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to take off, but I'm going to send another. And that word another is of the same exact sort. It doesn't mean I'm going to send, like say, let's put it this way. That, there's, there's two things of another. There's some of the same exact sort, and then there's, there's some of the same uh, sort. And, and let me show you the, the, the difference. I'm going to give you another piece of fruit so I can give you a banana or an apple. But the another that Jesus was talking about when he said another is I'm going to give you another, like say if I gave you a Macintosh apple that had a bruise on it three quarters of the way down and it was a half an inch in diameter. I mean, this color and everything. That's what he said. It's going to be exactly the same. You're not going to know the difference. That's how you're going to know who the Holy Spirit is. So let me say this. This is a sidebar note. If you don't really know Jesus, you'll never really know who the Holy Spirit really is. Because he's the exact same. There is no difference. 
So you have to have, you have to get to know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus before you can find out who the Holy Spirit is. To have a servant's heart, number three, you must live a life of intentional relationships. Live a life of intentional relationships. Philippians 2.25. But I think it it is necessary to send back to you Ephroditus. I just wanted to say that name. Isn't that like a cool name? That's like, that's like the name in Philemon, which is Onesiphorus. You know, I mean, where do they come up with these? I was going to name one of my kids at one time Ishkabibble, you know. <laughs> People would have thought, where's that in the Bible? It kind of sounds, you know, cool, but I wasn't even following God then. Anyway, um, so send back to you Ephroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your uh, messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. If you're a man, according to this right here, where it says, my brother, you're going to need some brothers. If you're a woman, you're going to need some sisters. Because you cannot do this life alone. And we need some people in our lives who think kind of like we do to kind of help us along life. But then we need those opposite people in our lives to help us complete life. I mean, that's how God created things to work. So the thing of it is, is we also need it here. It says fellow worker. Well, all that means is we need to be running with people that we're running the same race. We're in the same church. We're hanging out together. We're, do, we're doing life together here at this church. We need to do, you want me to tell you the best way to do that? And, and I know that you guys hear this from me again and again and again and again, but this is the truth, the best way to do it. And it's a proven fact is by small groups. Because that's doing something together outside of just working in your local church or just seeing somebody on Sunday. You find out who brother and sister bucket mouth is, so you find out who you can say and what you can't, who you can't say to. And then what you do when you find brother and sister bucket mouth, you don't talk about brother and sister bucket mouth. You get on your knees and you pray to God and, give, and, and ask God to touch brother and sister bucket mouth. But don't get into the prayer chain because then all of a sudden your prayer chain turns into a gossip chain. Anyway, then he said this. He said, fellow soldier. What does that mean? That means you need to establish some kingdom relationships. Some relationships that might not just be in the local church, but outside the local church that are kingdom-based. I have some very good friends of mine that are pastors in other churches, and I've got friends of mine that, are, that go to other churches, people that, that I've even had in congregation before. Um, as a matter of fact, I had somebody call me just recently about a, a crisis situation uh, last Wednesday night, and, um, and, and they, just, they knew that I would know how to handle the situation. Kingdom relationships. See, there are relationships that we have that build his kingdom, and that's called the body of Christ. That's why I'm not upset with Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists. We all have a position in the body of Christ that's going to be used to advance the kingdom. And we need to have kingdom relationships instead of downing each other and, putting, and talking bad about each other and, and talking about our differences. Let's talk about our similarities. And if you want to talk about our differences, let's not talk about our differences in a way to prove who's right and who's wrong, but in a way that we can actually agree to disagree unless the Holy Spirit shows us what the truth is either way. Or that we're both wrong. 
Anyway. So your relationships must be intentional. I'm going to close with this. With a servant's heart, there is a promise. There's a promise with a servant's heart. Philippians 2, 14 and 15, it says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and deprived generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. If you do things without complaining, if you do things without arguing, if you do, if you do these things and you're not all jacked up, then the world, people, they're going to take a look at you. And they're going to look at you as blameless. They're going to look at you as pure. They're going to look at you as God's children without fault because God already looks at you that way if you're born again. Because there's nothing that you can do, nothing at all that you can do personally that will put you into a better position with God than the position that you have right now with him since Jesus paid the price. 